We're proud to say that BetDSI have rejoined us once again as one of our keynote sponsors on Three Yards Per Carry. We welcome them and we welcome you to join up with them. The NFL season obviously kicks off at the weekend. The college football season has just got underway, but it's not just limited to football. There are a myriad of other sports out there that you could bet on. There's entertainment things, there's politics things at BetDSI.com. They have a great app. I've used it myself. I know the boys have used it too. They have a great mobile interface. And you know, this year you can get a 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. That's a 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. Use the code YARDS101. As always, YARDS101. Bet DSI for all of your betting needs and other ones that you probably didn't even know existed. YARDS101 with Bet DSI. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Simon Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. And I guess we could get into it right away. So, Simon, how many games do you have the Dolphins winning? Eight or nine? <laughs> Lead in I with mean, that <laughs> Super Bowl or bust, right? Yeah, yeah. I- I'm expecting the playoffs now. I mean, only three games. Out. Three games out of the playoffs is hilarious. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, the, the the scary reality is now that actually they're probably going to. I mean, they're probably going to win five games. Yeah. I mean, I can't see them. I mean, I think they'll beat the Bengals and the Giants, and they'll, you know, the the Jets on the road is a pick 'em game. I think they'll win four or five games. Which Can I take is issue with you on the Giants? Annoying. Uh, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, you don't think they scored too much for us? Did you no, see Saquon's so bad? He did just you got see Saquon's stats? Yeah, did you see his stats yesterday, Saquon? He had 2.4 inches per carry. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I have the, him on fantasy. Th- I, 13 carries for one yard. I mean, he's yeah. a great player, but come yeah. on. It's the Jets, not the, you know, not the 85 Bears. I changed. I changed my uh, my team name from the Wrath of Quan to uh, my Dalvins after that. Uh. <laughs> now there's a player. <laughs> yes. Because yes. I do have Dalvin. I just want to boast a, that for a second. He is a serious downhill runner. Oh man, so good. Yeah, and I think when he gets rolling, us, he's tough. All to three stop. of us had Dalvin over Fournette that draft. Mm, so. Definitely. Oh, we were just in love with we were just in love with Dalvin that that year. I mean, yeah. such player. So yeah, so Simon, uh, distress, uh, really. So you really do th- see five wins here? Wow. I mean, look, <laughs> I mean, the coaching job that's being done is phenomenal. I mean, Chris and I were talking yesterday about the the XFL. What, what positions were essentially XFL lineups, uh, position groups? Yeah, it's an offensive off. line. Yeah. Running back and defense, the defensive backfield. You look at that defensive Absolutely. backfield that started. It was heinous, and yet they're getting terrific play out of Nick Needham. You know, he looks an <laughs> a- absolute. But it's true, we laugh. It's true. He looks an absolute liability in the preseason and early in the season. I mean, the, I saw the numbers on him today. It's something like in the last two games, he's had like two interceptions, two sacks, a forced fumble four pass breakups and 14 tackles or something. It's ridiculous. He's playing at a really high level. Look at Eric Rowe, all of a sudden reborn as a safety, playing mm-hmm. really well at a tight end eliminator. Since since the bye week, ever since, since the, the bye week. week. This Stephen Parker kid comes up with a, with an absolutely 
phenomenal interception in the end zone to to essentially change the game. Changed him yes. into a box safety for this game and, yeah. and played him for the first time in a little bit. He had been a free safety before, and that, that experiment wasn't working so well. Look at the schemes that they're playing. I mean, the, a number of times on the first possession, first play of a, a Colts drive, they were playing six defensive backs, seven defensive backs. I mean, it was remarkable to see that, you know, uh, I'm kind of flabbergasted by the job that he's doing. And somebody made a really good point on social media on that, on the three yards per carry account today, when we were talking about sort of draft and coaches and that sort of thing. And somebody said, I'd much rather have the fourth pick and Brian Flores than Zach Taylor in the first pick. And I kind of feel like that's an interesting, Mm. because I, I, I personally am of the opinion that we still have the ammunition and the ability to get to it if that's who we want. Uh, so as disappointing as it is to win, because it the 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 margin of uncertainty is is bigger, mm-hmm. I'm still not massively concerned. And the flip side to that is that the coaching job that's being done by Flores and these coaches is pretty astounding. Well, you're not going to be disappointed when they're playing in the AC Championship game this year, Simon. <laughs> No, I, I think that's yeah. inevitable at this point. Yeah, let me say. Let me say All you have to do point, is look at a graph. Yeah, at, at, one point, at, at one point, yeah, yeah, they keep trending that they're, way. They're going to be winning by forty points in like gonna four be, weeks. They're going to absolutely murder everybody in the playoffs by forty points. At one point, my friends kind of consider me like kind of a, an encyclopedia because I kind of know every single player on the team. At one point, my friend, who's a Cowboy fan and has some connections, asked me. That Ken Crawley guy, he's kind of bendy. He look, I like the way he moves. Uh, where did you guys get him? And I said, I don't know who the hell that guy is. Ken Crawley? Yeah. Well, he was he was really good for the Saints mm. for a while. He was, yeah. yeah he, I don't know when the a... hell we got him. When the hell did we get him? Like, what yeah, he falls into we, that we just picked him up off waivers. Yeah, he falls into that category of, um, God, what was the cornerback who was really good for a couple of seasons and then got injured and went to the CFL, played at Hamilton. Um, oh. God, I've got his uh, phone number. Um, <laughs> it begins with D. His first name begins with D. Anyway, I'll think of it while you carry on the conversation. But yeah, he's that kind of guy. He's, he's just somebody that's emerged from, and like you say, he played really well with the um, played well with the Saints, and then all of a sudden just shows up on the roster. It is. Uh, yeah, he played. He played like seven hundred snaps. He played like a thousand snaps just a couple of years ago with the uh, the Saints. I mean, he was a Del- he was a starter. Del- Delvin Brown. Oh yeah, yeah, Delvin Broke. What, what, wasn't he also on the Saints? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, exactly. He was another yeah. one of those kind of reclamation projects. Who had a couple of really good seasons. Got injured, ended up in the CFL, and was like, you know, the CFL's defensive player of the year for two seasons, running with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It was just that, like, it's like watching Deion Sanders play with the high school kids. It was just like, you know, this guy's still got skills. I think I think when Ken Crawley got, I I would love to know why the Saints got rid of him, but um, when he when he got dumped by the Saints. It was sort of like he he had so much experience and had played so well in the past. It was sort of like kind of a no-brainer for Miami because he was just drafted in 2016. So, um, you know, I think there, it was still a waiver claim process and stuff, and Miami Miami has a, a high claim. So, yeah, they, they claimed him, and they just 
inserted him right in right away in um in this game he was uh i think like 40 snaps something like that Ooh. and um and they just you know when they when they get a guy that's new all of a sudden they're just they try to you have to simplify right because mm-hmm. you just pick the guy up off the street so he's a wide corner that's a that's what he is he's not doing anything else they've got these other guys moving all over the place it's got it's it's really been since the bye week and it's it's this defensive journey because they've been feeling everybody out and trying to figure out what they can do they got Eric since the bye week they've had Eric Rowe as like a box safety tight end you know eraser kind of player um Stephen Parker no longer playing at free safety uh after the bye week and then this week all of a sudden he shows back up on the field as a strong safety Jamal Wiltz is playing like a very Devin McCourty-ish role, mm. as, you know, slot, a slot corner slash free safety. Um, and uh, and, Del, and Charles, Charles Harris oh has been reborn <laughs> as a specialist part-time player. He's only on the field like 15 times a game, but yeah. it's mainly to pass rush. And so he doesn't have anything to think about. And Charles Harris, without anything to think about, is a better Charles Harris. Mm. So, um, so he's he's actually doing some things now. Um, Sam Aguavon is still a, a, a sore spot, but I mean, but yeah, I mean, there's big play yesterday though. Big play yesterday. Yeah, yeah but yeah, that's right. But um, but and Jerome still, Baker I mean, reborn. Jerome Baker reborn. Absolutely, no longer no longer being played along the the defensive edge you know as a sort of as a, a pseudo pass rusher sam type type guy vince beagle now is doing beagle, that full yeah. time you know as just like a right outside linebacker straight up you know pass rush guy um there's been a lot of changes has been made all the way around the defense that i guess have rationalized it and as a result I mean, if you look at even something like the expected points, and it's a kind of an advanced metric that Pro Football Reference uses, um, and you see the difference pre-bye week and then post-bye week, what they've done on defense. I mean, this this improvement of the team is defensive-led. I mean, the offense is still kind of up and down. But, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's really impressive. It's a hell of a coaching job. Uh, and thanks, Simon. Simon, we were a two-point yeah. conversion away from having another win. Dude, we were two point conversion away from two games out of the playoffs. <laughs> two, two games out, two games out. We'd be two games out of the playoffs right now. If, Can if, you uh, imagine? If Kenyon Drake yeah. had, you know, caught that ball and, and gotten <laughs> in, in the end zone. The funny thing is that Peter King wrote a piece today, or was part of his piece, about how the Browns were kind of on life support but had some kind of gumption moving forwards given the big win yesterday against the Bills, the Browns being three and six. If we'd have mm-hmm. beat the Redskins, we'd be in the same three and six position, which would just be astounding. And we, we wouldn't have, if, and, we would, and we wouldn't have all of that talent that they bought this offseason either. If we went, I mean, look, we've talked Half, to, uh, uh, literally. It's, ob- <laughs> it's obvious that they need to get a bit more pressure. You know, Beagle's playing well, Baker, mm-hmm. but but out of you know, John Jenkins is playing well, Wilkins is getting better week on week, but it, you know, it does feel like quarterbacks are having a little bit too much time in the pocket and certainly more time than you know the Patriots give uh, sorry less no more time than the Patriots give give quarterbacks so you know that does look like an area that needs improving Mm -hmm. upon but you look at the rest of it and you think Christ we're doing this with street free agents you know undrafted especially in the secondary how's that happening isn't it 
but without the best, without one of the best corners in the NFL, and frankly, one of the better safeties in the in the league, certainly you know the last few years, and Rashad Jones, and it, it, they're not being missed at all. <laughs> Nick Needham, Nick Needham is the new ex- Xavier Howard. <laughs> Nick, Nick Needham and Ryan Lewis were our starting corners yesterday. Well, Ken and, Crawley actually. And Ken Crawley. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Just off the street. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> astonishing. Unbelievable. Now, it I'm is. Gonna, let me inject a little hope, which is weird, okay? I'm going to inject a little hope as far as a losing streak is concerned. Oh. Okay. Is that the game we're playing again? Because I'm getting confused now. I'm like Barry Jackson. I don't know which way I need to go now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me inject a little hope. All of this is being is defensive-led. At some point, it has to end, and you have to score points. This offense right. is not very good. It's, in my opinion, I think it's clear cut the worst in the league. And I know that the Jets have their numbers and all of that, but the Jets at least have two offensive explosions. We have none. So, where are we going to get these five wins? I think we're going to get. We're going to need to score points against the Giants for sure. Against the Jets in New York, they're going to have to score points. The Bills this week. Are they going to be able to slug it out with the Bills? I'm afraid that they can. Okay, so that there, there could be one win right there. So I don't know, man. I don't see how this offense is going to be good enough to get to five wins. So I think three or four wins is probably tops. You're not Which buying the uh, Mike Gesicki, the, uh, you know, I guess nah, uh, I think explosion. The Preston Williams. What I mean, about the Devontae the Parker explosion? They're beating the Bengals. That's three games already. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think I think that this, listen, the, this is this team. The scariest part about this team is that week to week to week to week to week they get a little bit better every time, yeah. even mm-hmm. though the active roster gets a little bit worse each time. <laughs> yes. Like the also, active roster gets it definitely does between trades does. and it injuries. Does. Like it gets worse every week. But and how yet much they're better. How, how much of a job must these coaches be doing in the oh, yeah. players' eyes, not just in our eyes? How much right. is there patently, obviously, from the players who are just looking at these guys and thinking, you know what, we can do this with street-free agents and you know undrafted college kids. Imagine what's going to happen you know, when we really get the, the wheels underneath us. Because a couple of weeks ago, Daniel Kilgore was joking about, I understand why teams, you know, fans want us to tank and, the players have bought in so dramatically. I mean, what is this mm-hmm. week? Was this week 10? Week 9? Week 10? Mm-hmm. We, we're the, now in week 11. The, the players have bought in so much into, into Flores and these coaches. That is a, a, a huge indictment in a positive way of, of surely what's to come. It does feel finally like we've got a really good head coach. Brian Hoyer or no Brian Hoyer? And I think this, this win mm-hmm. will be excused a lot because of um... – because they were on their backup quarterback. The the Vegas spread on the game right up to game time was still over ten, right? It was mm-hmm. it was still ten and a half. All right, that you you usually don't get upsets on ten and a half point underdogs uh, on and, the road. And let's just and let's just boil it down to the actual games. Brian Hoyer came in after Brissett got hurt against Pittsburgh, and we already saw what the Steelers did to Jared Goff and that offense. Mm yesterday brian Hoare came in and threw two touchdown passes and should have had a third that was called back for uh on a penalty but and this almost, is the team and, that... almost, and and really vinatieri kind of cost them that game so brian Hoare is 
a fine backup quarterback. He's not yeah. like all of that third string terrible oh, yeah. quarterback stuff that was going on today. I don't buy none of that. Like I mean, he's not the he's not the guy that was starting for the um for the Lions yesterday, for example. I mean, yeah, he's like significantly. Jesus yeah, I mean, but look, this is, yeah, but this is a team that's beaten the Titans, and the Titans beat the Chiefs yesterday. This is mm-hmm. a team that's beaten mm-hmm. the Chiefs. This is a team that has beaten the Texans. The Patrick yeah. Mahomes Chiefs. The Patrick Mahomes Chiefs. The the Deshaun Watson Texans. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a this is a team that. You know, these are no mugs. And when I checked yesterday, Marlon Mack was still playing and Ebron yeah. was still playing and mm-hmm. Quentin Nelson was still playing. Costanzo was still playing. Darius Leonard was playing. Malik Hooker was playing. You know, the only guy that wasn't playing was Jacoby Brissett, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and T.Y. Hilton. Beyond that, you know, you can't... And th- at some point, the rubber meets the road when it comes to excuse-making. And I yeah. think you could kind of like handle it if it was just like, if it just came out of nowhere, right? If it came out of nowhere, it's like, okay, you know, any given Sunday in the NFL, that's fluky, whatever. But it, it didn't come out of nowhere. It had been building for a while. You know, mm-hmm. they, they'd been, obviously the Dolphins were just flat awful against the Ravens, not much better against the Patriots. They were a little bit better against the Cowboys, but still not good at all. Um, you know, a little bit better against the Chargers. The next game against the Redskins, they basically almost won, uh, you know, purely in the fourth quarter because Ryan Fitzpatrick came in in the fourth quarter and galvanized them. Mm-hmm. And then they played tough against the Bills, but, you know, some fluky plays went the other – the onside kick touchdown and, you know, some stuff like that. The um, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw a pick right in the, the end zone. I mean, the Steelers seemed like it could have been a close – Post game, they stomped the Jets, and then all of a sudden they go into a five and three teams house and beat them in their house. I mean, that's it, it's just it all builds on each other. And if this is like the Patriots, how they just keep getting better and better. I mean, the Patriots always play their best. I keep saying this; they play their best uh, football in December. And coincidentally, in December, we're facing like the Jets and the Giants and the Bengals and the Patriots in Week Seventeen. They might be the on their backups in that game. I mean, because what, they might not have anything to play for at that point. Yeah, but that game is still in New England, I think. Uh, you know. Yeah, but it's, if it's still against – if it's if it's not against Tom Brady then and and we are playing our best football in December, then couldn't we actually go 4-0 to end the season? It's not <laughs> out of the realm of possibility. It's really not, I mean, which is amazing to think about. Well, it's absolutely well, amazing. We'll have three picks in the twenties in the first round. <laughs> we'll have, yeah, that's that'll be the twenties. That'll be the saddest thing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't yeah. it? Do, I mean, credit most of all, I think, to Josh Boyer, the def- the, the part defensive pass game coordinator, because the job yeah. that he's done with that mm. unit. And interesting, I was reading earlier on that Boyer, uh, Boyer was the guy that found Malcolm Butler at West Alabama, and um, mm-hmm. Boyer and Flores went to see. Butler play mm-hmm. when Butler ran a four sixty eight, and they went and they went and sat and watched tape with him. And apparently Flores was like, "Dude does not look like he runs a four sixty eight at all. He looks like he runs a four three when he actually mm-hmm. plays." So you know the job that those guys have done on the back end is just just incredible. 
Well, at the, after the draft, I remember this specifically because it was kind of a talking point. Um, after the draft, they really specifically went for undrafted free agent corners. Mm, yeah. And Josh Boyer took a major hand in that. I, th- I remember like, when, the, when the scouts were talking about, they did their video series and they were going to talk about all the UDFAs and stuff like that. Um, they talked about how active Josh Boyer was in that effort. And Boyer gave a lot of, you know, quotes talking about how he found Malcolm Butler from, mm. from nowhere and Plus stuff like found, that. So, th- he found so this Jason was Jackson the intent. Jonathan Jones. Yes, exactly. So this was the intent. The intent all along was to get Josh Boyer to uncover these sort of diamonds in the rough. And kudos to them to sticking with it because it looked ugly as fuck at first <laughs> i mean some of those udfas that they got are now no longer here the boise state guy you know there's some of montre hardage is not here and, and stuff like that um but nick needham looked ugly as hell right in preseason and the regular season we're, we're panning him constantly and, and now he's now he's the the next Xavier howard all of a sudden mm. and I want to go Nobody, you know, no player, say, no player really epitomizes the Dolphins like Nick Needham himself. Maybe because the next Daryl Green. Or that's, the, like that. that's the Dolphins this year. That's the Dolphins mm. this year. Ugly I mean, as hell to start with, and then all of a sudden, whoa, where did that come from? Exactly. Needham, Tyler Horton, and, and Hartage all cited Boyer's history with undrafted free agents as the reason they signed with the Dolphins in the first place, which is, a, yep. again, a pretty incredible statement, really. And I think Hartage is on the practice squad, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And and it's continued because there's like Ken Webster, Ryan Lewis, exactly. you know, these guys that they're they're start claiming, and um and now you know Ken Crawley I think is a little bit of a different category because he's 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 got a lot of skins on the wall and he just found himself available and we claimed him uh, which was the smart move. The secondary feels like a New England secondary, it does. doesn't it? It feels like you just drop a guy. The in whole there. defense does. Yeah, yeah doesn't it? And you just think when you get a couple of pass rushers, a couple of those edge guys, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's in the draft, whether that's, you know, some of those guys that we talked to. I mean, you, I mean, I don't know if you saw, I was watching Red Zone yesterday and the statistics on Matthew Judon, who's a guy that we've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, JJ and TJ Watt have 20, what was it, 20? I can't remember what the, what the figure was. 20 uh, QB pressures this season mm-hmm. uh, to lead the league, but tied for second is Judon with 17 and mm. you think there's a guy who you know you watch the Ravens defensively and he's everywhere do you know what I mean he fits the kind mm. of mold of the sort of player we talked about last week about Yannick Ngakwe and Kyla Fack was a guy that you and I have talked about offline and mm. you know they're the sort of players that you just plug a couple of these guys in along with the beagle where does Van Ginkle fit you know Wilkins is coming on Jenkins mm. is coming on Needham's there Luke, all these kids McMillan's playing well Baker all of a sudden looks like the guy that we thought he was going to be doesn't feel like too much tinkering is needed on that defensive side but, if, if they can get these guys playing at this level. We can but there's out. also a caution, right? There's also a caution because, like, the this thing is working with these low-level guys, these desperate guys that are doing everything exactly they want, the way they want. And, and I think that sometimes you just assume that you can go and get, you know, kind of a higher-priced guy and he comes right in and fits right in. And what we've seen time and time again with New England is that's not necessarily always the case, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they, get a, they get a guy that you, on paper looks good, and, you know, five weeks in they decide he doesn't fit and they cut him or something like that. That's, what, yeah. that's the way things happen in New England. So it could be a little more difficult to add, like, sort of the star power that 
we want to add to the defense than we might think because of the way they do things. But at the same time, they grow it too, you know, so they, you know, they're going to keep drafting guys. Christian Wilkins is going to be whatever he is in in a couple of years. And who knows, maybe Andrew Van Ginkle, because Sam Agavon right now is, is a pass rusher for this, you know, as an outside linebacker pass rusher for this defense primarily and that ain't working. So, right. you know, what happens when Andrew Van Ginkle gets back in? Um, that's Agravon feels like one of those guys that could just fall off the team yeah. in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, Unless I think he's so. really good on special teams because they need help yeah. there. Yeah, true. Sure. I mean, Ryan, Ryan Lewis, is the, I mean, I think Miami's his sixth or seventh team. That he's mm-hmm. had. He, was only, he only came out in 2017, so it's not like <laughs> he's, you know, he's bounced around. All of a sudden, he just looks like, you know, he looks a player. Yeah, just another one of these guys. Is yeah, and Lamons, uh, Chris Lamons, I think is going to be here for a while because he's special a special teams guy. Special, yeah, special teams, yeah. You yeah, know, and special. and if he's your eighth defensive back or your seventh defensive back, I don't think, you know, I think he's very capable of filling that role. You know, he's not completely incompetent. So yeah. I like him too as a player going forward. But everybody, you know, yesterday if you were on Twitter and. You know, God, don't do that, people. Like, after the Dolphins, whatever result you don't want, don't go on Twitter after after that because you at all faith in humanity, all right? I made the mistake yesterday of going on Twitter and seeing what the plebes were saying, and it wasn't pretty, okay? Sorry, listeners. We didn't mean you're, you're the plebes. <laughs> okay. is, is plebes like plebs? <laughs> Uh, in 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 united states american yes yes okay okay and it wasn't pretty uh one guy proclaimed that win as setting us back 15 years you know which is which is odd you know everybody says that it sets you back a decade this guy went to 15 years (laughs) very specific yeah he was very very specific i was wondering I, i wanted to respond to him you know are you sure it's not 16 but I'll ask you. I'll ask you straight out. We all want, you know, we wanted, okay. And Tua Tagovailoa, he played great on Saturday, and we're going to get to that game. We're going to review that game in a little bit here. Do you think it's over? Do you think it's over, Simon? Is there no shot now? As no, I don't think you. We've got five. We've got nine picks in the first two rounds of the next two drafts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's more than enough. If if he's really the guy that they love, if he's really the guy, if Rich Eisen is right, and what Rich Eisen heard two years ago that the Dolphins were all in on Tua. If what the whispers that we've heard from the people that we know are right about where Tua stands above everybody else in the Dolphins' current pecking order, if that's the guy that they truly want, then they have the capital to go up and get it. Let's just say we end up with the fourth pick, for example. The Bengals take Joe Burrow because he will probably win the Heisman. He'll probably end up having a better year and he probably suits Zach Taylor's system a little bit better. Let's just say he goes first overall. Let's say the Jets have the second pick. And the Jets take Chase Young. Uh, and why wouldn't they? Uh, Washington have the third pick. And there's a uh, uh, and the, the left tackle from Georgia goes to them. Why wouldn't they? Because Trent Williams isn't going to play for them ever again. All of a sudden, the Dolphins are sitting there at four, taking two at Tungavala. But let's just say that, you know, the Jets don't want to move out of two because they don't want to lose Chase Young. But a team is calling the Redskins saying, we want to move up and, you know, this is what we can offer you. The Dolphins can match and beat any offer because they've got the picks, they've got the capital. So uh, whilst I think the percentage chance of us securing him has gone down, I still don't feel there's a reason that we would lose him if if we really want him. 
I, I think in my, in my gut, in my bones, I feel like we have lost him. Um, because I think that even though everything we hear is that, yes, not, all, not everybody in the league has him as the number one quarterback right now. Nope. I get that. But I, think, I still think that by the end of the season and as we get through the process, it's going to start, um, I don't know, it's going to start shaping that way. It's going to be start start heading that way. And if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, and I mean, this all hinges on whether the Bengals take them or not. And we, we mm. like to think, you know, hey, this maybe they like Joe Burrow more or maybe they like Justin Herbert more. But, uh, you know, are, are we sure about that? Do we even, are, you know, do we even have solid footing to say, to say that they would like uh, one of those guys more? I think that, Tua actually changed the narrative about him in this game. And we're going to talk about the game, but all we heard about all year and for more than a year about Tua is, is Clemson and Georgia, Clemson and Georgia, you know, over and over again, big games, big defenses, you know, he shits the bed. This was a big defense. This was a big game and he didn't shit the bed. He actually did really well. He was on one leg and, you know, he, he kind of willed his team into it. Um, they also say everything is just too easy for them, right? The the offense is too machine-like. It's it's wide open receivers, and you know he, all he does is throw a slant, and then the guy runs sixty yards and stuff. Well, this was not easy, right? This was he was being hit constantly. He had pressure in his face constantly. The receivers were being derouted. I mean, the receivers were not open, or the windows were tight. Um, and and he was hitting guys anyway. He threw four touchdowns and and his all world wide receiver and and wide receiver number one in this draft mm. did not mm -hmm. have a good game. Yeah, he I'm dropped sorry. the ball. He yeah. dropped the ball several twice, times. twice, twice. I mean, something something that plays touchdowns. into this. Something that plays into this as well that I think is is well worth thinking about is that there's a likelihood that Tua only plays four more games at Alabama. Mm. Uh, a strong likelihood. Actually, you know, Mississippi right. State, Western Carolina, um, Auburn, and then whoever they play in the bowl game, because there's a pretty strong chance that they don't make the playoff. A pretty strong chance. Um, the Penn State loss at the weekend obviously didn't help, but, you know, if Oregon go unbeaten, they're, they're almost certainly going to get in, unless you aren't going to lose now. Um, Ohio State aren't going to lose. What are you going to well, do with Minnesota, uh, Minnesota too? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Minnesota are going to play out against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, aren't they? So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, they're at Baylor. I mean, there are teams there that are going to, that, that will come into consideration ahead of Alabama. So there's a chance that Tua only plays four more games, whereas Joe Burrow's got his three regular season games, plus the SEC Championship, plus the bowl semifinal, mm. plus, plus a potential national championship game. There's six sure. more opportunities for people mm -hmm. to see to, to see to see Joe Burrow, there may only be four. Look, we don't even know how. We saw how he limped off the field on Saturday. At what point do you think to yourself, you know what, we're going to beat Mississippi State and we'll, we'll beat Western Carolina? So why don't we get him healthy for Auburn and then you know, and, and see where the chips lay? I mean, you know, I just think there's an opportunity for teams to see more of Joe Burrow and get more excited about Burrow than there will be about Tua, but given the fact that there's only potentially four more games in his Alabama career left. Yeah, but isn't there, isn't there a flip side to that? Like, if Joe Burrow has, you know, however, these however many games left, listen, let's, let's face it, he came from sort of day three-ish, right? 
we we can agree that before the season started, Joe Burrow, where is he going to go? You know, max 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 round three. Yeah. Right. Um, I and I I saw that Dane Brugler uh, said that um, you know people that he talked to, he's it wasn't necessarily unanimous agreement. It was day three ish. Some people had him more like round three. But anyway, that's where he came from. So he's got to make this this big journey upward, right? And in order to do that, you've got to be per- perfect. And he has been. He has been perfect um, in order to do that. But now he's got all these games. If he slips and stumbles even one of them, then it's probably over for him with number one pick, right? Do you think? I mean, I, th- I, mean, I think, I think he, yeah, I think it could be. He needs to be perfect. I mean, the Peter King in his column today was speaking to to a couple of GMs said, I mean, what what more do you need to see now? I mean, he's been and beaten Auburn. He's beaten Florida, you know, one of the best defensive secondaries in the, in the country. He's beaten Texas on the road. He's beaten Alabama on the road. I mean, the, where who else has got that? You know, Justin Herbert, where's that resume? Do you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. I mean, when's the, the the next big game Justin Herbert wins is the first big game Justin Herbert wins. You know, I, I kind of feel like, and and also, where are these defeats coming? I mean, they've got Mississippi, unranked Mississippi, unranked Arkansas, mm-hmm. and unranked Texas A and M. You know, well, if they face direction. Georgia in the SEC championship, yeah, of course. Right. I mean, and the, if they lose, I mean, if they lose to Georgia in that game, yeah. But LSU look, I mean, they look the class, the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm this season i mean yeah i i don't think georgia i don't think georgia beat them i'd be surprised if georgia beat them i've got to say and then a national championship game against potentially ohio state which then you know all bets are off aren't they i mean win or lose if he's got that far he's done all those things he's won the heisman you know and he has one down game you still look back and say you know what he won the sec title and he beat texas on the road alabama on the road florida auburn you know, Auburn got one of the best defenses in the in the country. It's um, I don't know. It's it's an it's such a fascinating, so fascinating. With so far to go, still we still got months to go. Well, let me make a case why I think it's still very realistic that Tuatonga Vailoa is going to end up here, and that's the hype train for Joe Burrow is has is not it's it's on the tracks and it's headed right to the Heisman, which will lead him to more visibility on all the national networks. So the hype is going to be there. His team is better than Tua Tonga-Vailoa's. So he might also have a national championship, okay? And I understand it's just one game. The game was in Alabama, okay? And for, you know, okay, I understand that Tua Tonga-Vailoa brought us – well, brought us. Now I'm talking as if we're, we're all Alabama Crimson Tide fans. But he did bring them back, but they were down three touchdowns. Joe Burrow did that. And I, I, I'm sorry, it's he's performed so well. He's going to get the trophies, multiple trophies, the individual awards. And then in the offseason, when you get to the combine, he's so mechanically sound that no matter what you may think about his throwing power, his mechanics are going to be good enough where he's going to be ad- adequate enough in drills where nobody's going to really say that he has, I would say, problems with his arm strength. Similar mm-hmm. to what Lamar Jackson did. And we all know that Lamar Jackson timed terribly throwing, throwing the football. He was timed under 50 miles an hour. And he was the only quarterback that was invited to the combine that yeah, but under 50 miles an hour. Not a single team actually even pays attention to those, um, to those radar readings. Not a single team. They don't, well, they don't care about them whatsoever. 
But if that's the main knock and then you go out there and, and you're actually the worst guy throwing, I think people are going to pay attention if that's the main knock on Joe Burrow. Because I'm sorry, there, there's there's no other knock. Like, if we're going to talk production, you know, the horse I mean, left the barn this year. I think. Here's I don't, the production. I think there's no other knock. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is he played a lot of good teams in 2018 and he didn't do well. I mean, he his, threw one. His, he threw one touchdown and like four interceptions or something like that against a, the against his, the good teams. Here's the production for Burrow since he's been at LSU. So 22, 22 games. Okay, forty nine touchdowns passing, nine interceptions, ten touchdowns rushing. He's got a seventy percent completion percentage and eight wins against top ten opponents in twenty two games, which is more than any other quarterback in college football across the board. Eight wins against top ten opponents. That's a pretty that's a pretty interesting number. Uh, it's 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 interesting, but it's also you have to understand it's like all this year, or mostly mostly all this year. I mean, he had some moments later in 2018 against you know kind of some worse opponents, but last year, I mean, it, it's it really is. You look at 2018. This is the reason he was a day three pick heading into the to this year. Like, there's a lot of good traits there. There's a lot of stuff. You, there's some flashes and stuff like that. But when it gets right down to it, he played good teams, and he just looked like he was in over his head from a talent standpoint. And then you fast forward to this year, and now Joe Brady comes over from New Orleans, and there's a lot of there's a lot of credit being given to Joe Brady here. There's a lot of respect there. He's in a new offense with, with Joe Brady, and he is blossomed. And you're going to have to keep that going, right? Because, you know, why mess with a good thing? So you're going to have to tailor the offense to make it, you know, look like that. And I think that, yeah, there's, there's going to be some skepticism, not just because of the arm power. The arm power is a thing. It is, a, you know, it is in sort of problematic areas, but also because of the one-year wonder thing. And teams don't like one-year wonders. I mean, they, they like guys that have been consistent for a while. I mean, this is not new. This is not coming out of the, coming out of the blue, okay? Teams don't like guys that couldn't do it in 2018, but then all of a sudden, whoa, in 2019, as a 23-year-old, it, you know, just exploded. And another thing that I think helps us, meaning the Miami Dolphins, as far as landing Tua Tonga Bailoa, is this. Tuatonga Bailoa has hardware in both ankles and was last seen limping in the si- on the sideline after he had taken several hits and didn't look all that great after the game. Limping around, holding his quad, looking kind of ginger on the sideline. So I think that also helps. That, and that plays right into the Dolphins' hands because any of those knocks are knocks that Joe Burrow doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So I could see the scenario where if Joe Burrow goes number one, then all we got to do is be somewhere around the top four, like Simon said, in that scenario. Now, of course, if we make the playoffs, then okay, forget it. We're not like, making the playoffs. <laughs> no, I understand. Uh, I have us winning three games. Okay? Are we actually pondering that? <laughs> I have us winning three games. because I just don't think that this defense can keep it up for the rest of the year. So I have us picking three somewhere games. around second or third. Okay. All right? Yeah, I think we win mm, one more. I dig it. Okay, I think all right, we win I that it. Cincinnati game. Okay. Now, all of that is in our favor. If we're picking second, I think we got him. And and if we don't have him, and we are picking second, is Cincinnati is gonna is Cincinnati really gonna be that married to taking Tua Tagovailoa number one that they won't you know they won't entertain a trade to just move down one spot? 
and take the Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow? You know, I don't know, man. I think a lot is in our favor. Unless, of course, we, we go on some type of ridiculous win streak, like in 2011. When they started, I still, I still think they have winning six. They have so much capital, but also I don't think if the Bengals love Tua, they're not going to move down and let somebody else take the guy they want. They just, just, and feel like Joe Burrow is a, a nice secondary present. They're just not going to do that. Uh, and I, I feel like you're rolling at least a fifty-fifty die, whether that's the case. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think so because I think that that's how it's probably going to break down as far as NFL GMs. Like maybe, maybe fifty percent might be on on the two of bandwagon and maybe 40% might be on somebody else's bandwagon. And then you're going to have the stragglers like four or five GMs that think Chase Young is the the best player in the draft. I think the Bengals will take either Burrow or Herbert. I don't think they'll take Hmm. two. That's just my personal opinion. Let us pray. Let us pray. Let's hope. Let's hope Mike Tannenbaum becomes the general manager of oh, the uh, of be the um, Bengals. Obviously, if for people that didn't see it, he was on um, Mike Golick's show this morning and was asked who would choose between Joe Burrow and Tua, and he just went, "I'd take Justin Herbert," and then proceeded to uh, downplay Burrow's size, even though he's six four, two twenty, and said that he was not <laughs> not a big man, uh, and then said that Tua was injury prone, even though Justin Herbert has had a what, a broken leg, a broken collarbone, oh, yeah. concussion, and a number of issues this season. He's got a long list. To, knee injuries, forced him to leave games. Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, okay. Mike. That was ridiculous. That wasn't was, it. That was absurd. But yeah, let's hope. Let's hope the Bengals are paying attention to him or hire him or something. And we're, the Bengals are notorious for running a very small scouting department. Yeah, the smallest um, in the league. Yeah, and, but I, I think some of the past – the past history that is sort of in the past as far as some of their, their stupidest mistakes personnel wise go. And I think that they're, they're a little bit brought up into the, into the wider world now. So I, I don't know if they're, I don't know. It's like, it's like I said, it's at least just a coin flip, whether Tua is their guy or not. And, um, and I think that if he is their guy, they're not going to trade the pick. No. You know, and that's there, just and not, there's, and there's always the possibility that Tua Tungavaloa will do what Eli Manning did to the Chargers, to a team like the Cincinnati Bengals. Also Can true, just, also a possibility. Yeah. What, what do you think would happen in our respective households should um, Miami, let's say, end up with a third pick um, and the Bengals um, take Burrow first overall and we get really excited. The Jets stay where they are and take Chase Young, leaving the Dolphins open. And Roger Goodell steps to the podium and says, and with a third overall pick, the Miami Dolphins select quarterback Justin Herbert. What would happen? Well, How many TVs would be I'm broken? Really, really, really drunk because I'm going to be on the street <laughs> in Las Vegas. And I'm going to take a I'm going to take a page from Chris Joseph and send uh, and send Chris Greer a box of cat shit. <laughs> and then there's you hear with the fourth overall pick, there's been a trade. The New England Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> four spot. Well, now you're just now you're just twisting the knife. Now you're. I know. Okay. I know. Yeah, I know. That's just a horror movie. You're can, just writing. Can I? Now. Can I just say I, I I do put in all seriousness, all jokes aside, a, a serious amount of significance in the fact that Stephen Ross was at the LSU mm. uh, Alabama game at the weekend. I, that that to me is a serious amount of um, mm-hmm. significance for for that. Um, I think that's you know, fair. That maybe Stephen Ross is, uh, has already written on a post-it note to a tongue of Iowa, no matter what. 
I would. I, I, I mean, he probably hasn't written that, but um, I think I suspect that he has made it fairly clear the guy that he likes. Mm-hmm. You know, he likes. You know, you look at you look at the wow plays that Lamar Jackson had at Louisville. You look at the wow plays that Tua has at Alabama. You know, certainly with his arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think Steve Ross can look. Will look at anything else. You know, Joe Burrow is a good player and Steve Ross I'm sure will look at him and go what a good player but there's a longevity to Tua it's two and a half years now two and a half seasons that, you know Ross is no mug uh, it's just to me that strikes me as a, you know Tua the Hawaii kid Miami the wearing number 13 the mm-hmm. the Russell Wilson-esque all those little things just add up yeah. to something mm-hmm. a little bit Miami-ish mm-hmm I, th- I will tell you this, the last two games, they have shown the owner's box at some point in the game, like video, and I swear, I mean, this, these were two wins, all right? We were, we were beating the team when they would show the owner's box. These guys all looked like their favorite auntie just died. <laughs> I mean, every single one of them, Steve Ross, Garfinkel, they're like leaning back, they're like... They're like looking, looking totally glum. Dan Marino is just like. Did you see yesterday? Yesterday it was that. That was the the best visual ever, and it was pointed out to me by by my friend because I was at his house to watch the the Cowboys and the Vikings, and we were watching the end of this game. And Hoyer throws that last interception. Remember the last interception that he threw, which you know was <laughs> ominous because I was like, okay, this is the drive where they could put something together. And then right away we pick him off, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself, oh my god, here we go. We're going to go put in the touchdown that ices the game. And they pan to Dan Marino in the, in the, in the owner's box. And Dan Marino looks like somebody had just killed his dog. Yeah. It, 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 he looked absolutely distraught. So who knows? Maybe it's, it's the feeling going around the, the organization is that we want this guy, you know, and these wins aren't helping too much. But, I mean, to be fair, okay, so what happens if we can't get the guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't so, know. So, I mean, what, what's the – I mean, this is a question we I get all the time. I don't know about you guys. I'm sure I'm sure we get it on the, the 3YPC account. You know, what's your feeling? Like, what, what, what do you th- – I mean, is it Joe Burrow? Is it, is it um, you know, no. Jake Fromm? Is it, I is have it, it. Is it Dustin Herbert? Yeah, look, I don't, I, I don't have any, I don't have uh, rock solid information on this. But if I had to make a bet, and I'm known to make a bet, and you could check on on, on our three YPC account, you know, I'm 16 and seven this year, okay, every Thursday. So go check that out every Thursday on our three YPC account. <laughs> if I had to bet, I would say that the backup plan is either Herbert or Jordan Love. They've just devoted so many resources to those two guys. And Joe Burrow just getting on the scene now, unless, you know, they're working on something that I don't know about and nobody else really knows about. I would say that the, the conversation for QB2 is centered on those two guys. See, the thing is, I think that I think it would probably be Herbert, but I think they also would think, and I'm sure they've already played these scenarios out or will play these scenarios out. I think they think that they could potentially get Jordan Love in the mid-teens mm-hmm. and therefore do something different at four, three, wherever it is that they pick, um, six, I don't know where, you know, uh, that to me, you know, I could, I could, (laughs) you could see a scenario where they came away with, I don't know, young love Humphrey with their three picks rather than, you know, 
to uh, do you know what I mean? I think that the, they will work out a situation in which you know. And look, Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing really good football. We joked in the preseason that he wasn't going to last more than three games or whatever. And he, he you know, he's shown durability. The guys clearly love playing for him. There's no, you know, if you bring Jordan Love in, you're not going to want to start Jordan Love week one next season. What no, absolutely get, not. What you're going to yeah. want to have him do is exactly what happened with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith, is get him in behind a really great veteran, a guy that's been around the league, who understands football, who understands teaching, you know, who's just a player's guy. And you just say to Jordan Love, you, you know, just like Pat Mahomes did with Alex Smith, move in with the Fitzpatricks, essentially. You know, you just do what, learn everything about the game, the nuance of the offense, about playing the position, practice, 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 watch, 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 all those sorts of things. Fitzpatrick is pretty much the perfect guy to be the bridge to be the bridge for, for, for a guy like Jordan Love, whilst then your first pick, whether it's Andrew Thomas, whether it's Grant Delpit, whether it's Akuda, whether it's Chase Young, whoever, is you know doing their thing and starting, you know, uh, and you're not necessarily inured to a quarterback having to come in and start straight away because we've got the bridge guy there. Plus, you know, the other first round picks are doing their thing. Mm. What I wonder, and this is, you know, Jordan Love has been our, we've talked about him for a long time, um, and I, I love him dearly. The more that I'm starting to trust this coaching staff, I guess, um, the more that I'm starting to lean actually toward Jake Fromm of Georgia. And that's because he's so clearly, he's so clearly compatible with this, um, this is style, this coaching staff, everything they do, everything they value. I mean, they talk about leadership. They talk about being able to command the offense, uh, every aspect of the offense, the protection calls and the nuance and stuff and being able to call out, call out the defenses and stuff like that. That's all Jake Fromm's specialty. He is a master at that stuff at Georgia. And he's been doing it for three years. He's been doing it from a very young age. He's a leader, um, and he's he's very capable on the football field. I think his arm strength is highly underrated. I think that it, there's upside with his arm strength because he isn't following through with his feet uh, as well as he could. I mean, I've talked about it on the Twitter account several times, and, and um, if you look at him, he's kind of just snapping the ball off with his arm a lot of times and, and not really using his – a bit like Andrew Luck used to do uh, when he was at um, Stanford. And, uh, and so I think that there's actually upside for what he can do from a power standpoint. Uh, yeah. He's already throwing at pro velocity. He's already, he's already achieving that regularly. But I think that – I don't know. I think that there's, there's so much there that's just so fully compatible with everything that they do on offense and everything that they value, that I can't see how they wouldn't want him. I can't see how they wouldn't like him a whole lot. And they're quiet about him. I, and I get that. Um, and we talked about some of that earlier. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the more I trust this coaching staff, the more I'm like, well, you know, maybe I trust them enough to get the guy that's compatible with the system instead of the guy like Jordan Love who's just – you know, arm talent extraordinaire. I mean, he's just a savant that way. Now, let me ask you. But also er erratic. <laughs> All right, now let me, let, me ask, let me ask you this, Simon and Chris. I'd like to get your input on, on this. Marvin Allen was the regional scout for the Atlanta Falcons down there. Uh, if you know regional scouts, they usually live at the facility of whatever college team is very near to their pro team. So Marvin Allen basically owned the campus at UGA. He's yet to make a trip out there. 
do you put any stock in that? This is the guy that's going to be doing the, the the draft board in essence. So he has Chris Greer's job from last year. Do you put any stock in that, or no, Simon? Um, I mean, look, we've talked about. You know, I've sat in enough press boxes to know that most of the time these scouts have fucked off by half time. Mm. You know, Chris and I sat behind Chris Greer at. Um, at Tampa Stadium, watching Florida State a couple of years ago when Dalvin Cook was playing. Dalvin ripped off, a, a, had a big game. And, and Chris and I were literally sat behind him and he'd gone, hadn't he, Chris, by the start of the third quarter. He wasn't mm-hmm. He wasn't there. I mean, it depends what you get from seeing people in public as opposed to watching them on on tape, I suppose. You know, you want to kind of get down on the sideline and, uh, and that kind of thing. But oftentimes you sit with scouts and GMs, certainly with GMs, not so much scouts, uh, but GMs are often talking to one another and they're doing bits and they're writing notes and they're all sorts. They're not really, scouts are, are much more there with binoculars and things. And you quite often get scouts. Uh, I was at the Clemson Texas A&M game earlier in the season. There was a couple of Falcon scouts there. And I was talking to one of the guys and he said, uh, I said, oh, who are you scouting? We went through certainly, he talked to me about some of the players I was looking at and whatever. And I said, what do you think? I, I said to him, what do you think of Isaiah Simmons in terms of his position versatility and how that manifests itself at the NFL level? He said, to be honest, I'm not watching him. I'm, I'm only on seniors duty. So I'm not watching any underclassmen at all. I'm just here to watch seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, the guy I'm with is watching juniors, but... I'm fully focused just on seniors, which I thought was really interesting. I hadn't realized that that was, a, that was even a thing. Um, but I, I don't know. I just wonder what you get from... There's so many distractions at a game. There's so much noise, so, especially in some of those, you know, Clemson, Mississippi State, Alabama, where the windows are open to the press box with the scouts sitting. It's so loud, the noise comes in. and There's so many things going on. And I just wonder how much you really gain from from being in the press box when you only see half a game as opposed to sitting there with a clicker going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't know, Chris, what do you think? I mean, for me, I personally would rather watch on film, but that's just a personal thing. And I think that's the, that's sort of the point with, and I think Alf, what Alf is, is sort of alluding to is, you know, if you're Marvin Allen, then you've got the connections. You want to know, you want to know the want deal. Somebody else's Jake. opinion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you know you want to know the deal of Jake Fromm, then then you can you can put in a call. He's got the connections there, and mm-hmm. and maybe he can, um, or maybe that was a long time ago. Who knows? Um, but I will say that you do want the the fresh eyes, and if you're the if you're the guy putting together the draft board, I think you have your scouts giving you your reports, and you you'll do a lot of film work. I mean, you're not gonna. I don't think you necessarily need to be out there. Mm-hmm. out of her game live and like simon said it's chaotic out there during the games there's only so much you can pay attention to and sometimes these guys are just shooting the shit anyway um so i think that um i think it doesn't necessarily mean anything if anything you know i'm kind of like wondering why things are so quiet on on jake from uh, personally because he fits so well with what they everything that they do uh and their their style of offense and their style just their style as a team not even as not even as an offense um so i wonder about that but i wouldn't read much into it i think because listen was it's only beginning in november too um mm-hmm. there's lots of time for marvin allen to put in a phone call and we don't know that he hasn't put in a phone call anyway yeah um already so i don't know I, i'm not inclined to read into it 
but I am curious that nobody's connecting the dots between Miami and Jake Fromm. Well, we promised the people we will have something on this game that was played on Saturday. So very briefly, Simon, what were your impressions of this game on Saturday? I thought it was one of the best college football games I'd seen in, in years. Yeah, it was tremendous. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it, it, it was a, um, it was an NFL game played at the college football level. You look at the talent that was on show, you know, on, on both sides of the ball. You look at a quarterback in Tua Vilo dominating in the second half, certainly, you know, when he'd got his sea legs under him and, you know, the rust had kind of worn off, dominating uh, a secondary that contained three top 15 draft picks in Grant Delpit, in uh, Derek Stingley, who was the number one corner in the nation, uh, even though he was a true freshman, was playing at such an elite level, and yet he toasted him. And Christian Fulton, who, you know, coming off the foot injury, but has really started to, to find himself, you know, you, you look at Calavion Chase on against Alex Leatherwood, I thought Leatherwood played really well. You've got, you know, this first round of versus sort of top 40, you know, two top 40 guys. You look at Xavier McKinney played really well, showed that great open field tackling. You know, you look at the receiver. I think Devontae Smith has made more money for himself than maybe any Alabama player this season. Absolutely. You know, it, it was interesting what Jerry Judy said, that Judy said, I'm the best route runner. Uh, Jalen Waddle is the quickest twitch. Um, I can't, what, Ruggs is the fastest and Devontae just catches everything. And that's going to count for an awful lot at the next level. You know, the guy that, who do you want? Do you want the guy that can, you know, do you want John Ross or do you want Larry Fitzgerald mm-hmm. in terms of, I don't, I'm not saying that Dewan Smith is Larry Fitzgerald, but, you know, do you want, and I'm not saying that Ruggs is John, is John Ross, but you kind of get the point. Do you want the, do you want the guy who can run out of the stadium or do you want the guy who you know you can throw to on every single, you know, he's going to come down with it. He's going to be, you know, the reliable receiver that you're, you know, that you're looking for. Um, and I think most of the time you'd say, actually, I want the reliable guy. I think he, he made himself an awful lot of money. Uh, I, uh, you look at the running backs. I talked about it on three yards per carry account the other day. I, I've been a fan of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for a while. I think he's a really good player. Um, he's got a kind of a, a mix of sort of Mark Ingram with uh, a little bit of, um, they talked about Darren Sproles, but I kind of feel like he's got a bit of Emmett Smith in his game. Mm. Um, he's small, he's undersized, but he just looks like Emmett Smith. He's got just the lower leg strength is phenomenal. I think he's a factor back at the next level. He's a three down play. He's got great hands. He can, he can pass protect. And, and Najee Harris, who just as you know, has finally, finally um, started to come into his own, you know, the number one rated player in America in, in high school two seasons ago. And has sort of waited his turn and waited his turn. I think that they've expected him to kick on a little bit, and it's been a slower process for him. He has but that now he, you know, field, doesn't he? He does a little bit, he, a little bit, a little bit of Derek Henry because he's not. I don't think he's massively fast. He's not, you know, but he's just he's patient and he's got good vision, and he kind of feels like he's he gets it now, you know. And, and I think the catch, the, the back shoulder throw and catch was was terrific, uh, and he was just able to, he, you know. Tua played really well in the second half, but he was the perfect complement. He kind of took over a critical point in that game. So I, I just thought it was a terrific game, a great chess match. And look, hats off to Ed Olsheron as well. I think he's just done a tremendous job. I mean, people were like, you know, is he the guy? Is he, you know, LSU struggled. I mean, I went to Alabama LSU two seasons ago in Tuscaloosa. LSU were unranked. Uh, and their starting quarterback was the kid the Patriots drafted in the seventh round a couple of years back and you just like this team is a long way away and now look at them you know they went into Tuscaloosa 105,000 people the whole of the country watching the president there and they blew Alabama remember what was it 33-14 they just blew them away I thought it was a great game I thought it was an absolutely super game winning 
they were winning 33 to 13, I think. 33 13, yeah. yeah. And actually, it was a really good day of college football because I watched Minnesota Penn State before that. That was a really good game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some really good players on that. The, the, the receivers for Minnesota were terrific. Antoine Winfield, terrific. Um, but yeah, that was just a, that was a, a, an all-timer, a really good game that lived up to the billing. I was I was very happy that, considering how hyped it was, that it mm. it turned out the way it did, yeah. which was like you said, an all-timer. Um, it was a really really entertaining football game, and yeah, we were paying attention to the quarterbacks, but it was interesting that Najee Harris and um, Edward Solaire <laughs> almost. And they threatened to pull the spotlight away from the quarterbacks at times. I, I mean, they absolutely they they looked like each quarterback's right hand man, you know, doing the damage although, for them. Although and, Joe Burrow made sure to steal Hilaire's shine after the game when he was trying to get interviewed. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> no, I didn't. It bothered I didn't me see a little that. bit, just a little. Yeah. Uh, well, Joe Burrow's an interesting guy. I see his Twitter history. Um, <laughs> yes. So. But yeah, so I, I thought I thought it was very uh, very cool to see like how each guy you know had sort of his um, his partner in crime, I guess, and, and and doing a bunch of damage and and really just beating up that Alabama's defense has been on the ropes for a little bit. I mean, it's been covered yeah, up, it's been good. hidden, but I mean this is this is not a strong defense. Hasn't been a strong defense since they took some injuries. I think you know partway through last year actually. Um, and so I think that uh, I think that it really broke open. And Tua, even though he got on track and started bringing his team back, what he needed was he needed a stop, right? Mm-hmm. He needed yeah. a stop from that defense, and and he couldn't. They couldn't get one. And it reminded me a lot of the um, the the Kyler Murray versus Tua Tagovailoa matchup in the playoffs last year. Like Kyler Murray was a little bit slow to start with. And then he really started to get, you know, after probably only two drives, I think he he really started to heat up and started scoring a bunch of points. And Nick Saban was trying to stop him, and he kept scoring. But really what needed to happen is Oklahoma just needed to be able to stop Tua once, right? And they couldn't. And they couldn't at all. Like, Tua just just cut right through them uh, through the through the entire game. And that's that's what happened with Joe Burrow on the LSU offense here, um, with those receivers and and the offensive line doing pretty well, and then that running back, you know, Edwards Alaire. I mean, it was, it was really fantastic. It was fun to see um, both both quarterbacks. I, in the end, I did think that they moved the needle because yeah. I thought that Tua did it by challenging a narrative a narrative about him about things always being easy for him and him blowing it in big games. Neither of those things happened. Um, and then with Joe Burrow, I think he moved the needle because in the end, this is just a this is a really big game. <laughs> yeah, so, I thought uh, the Tua, I thought the Tua was intentionally not throwing slants. <laughs> Challenge the narrative. Well, he, they were they weren't open. I mean, they were just taking point, away there, weren't they? They were just playing yeah. inside coverage. Yeah, yeah. I won't point he reached. At one point he reached. I think it was sixteen attempts without throwing a, a slant, and then he threw one, and then of course Judy dropped it. Yeah, that's true. That's true also. But, I mean, Burrow, Burrow's got to – like I said, there are two main criticisms about Burrow to me and that I think are out there, which is one is the arm power we know about, but two is is the fact that, hey, 2018 wasn't so good and then all of a sudden 2019 is an explosion. Where did that come from? Um, he can't do anything he, about that. But then he, he can't he do anything four, about that, right? Yeah. He 2018, top, he can't rewrite history. He could, right? But he beat four top ten teams last year. 
you think about it, Miami, who were number eight in the first game of the season. Then he beat um, Auburn, who were number six. Then he beat Georgia, who were number two. And then the bowl game, he beat UCS, UCF for the first time in however many, 29, 25 games or whatever, who were number six at that point. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, he did it, but he did it in sort of a Josh Allen way without sure. without completing a lot of passes and For without, sure. you know, he was throwing interceptions. Against, and Very good against Auburn. He was very yeah. good you know, against You Auburn. know what Joe Burrow reminded me of? And it's I'm not comparing him to this guy, okay, people, so don't get after me on, on Twitter. I'm not saying that they're the same guy. But it reminded me what Joe Burrow did on Saturday. It reminded me of one of those Tim Tebow tidal waves that used to happen when you played the Gators, where it was just – his for he was just a force of nature. He's no so matter accurate, what though. you did, I mean, Tebow was never accurate. No, but I'm talking about as a college player, a guy. Tebow Tebow completed like seventy plus percent in college. Yeah. It was it was yeah. it was odd. I mean, Tebow's one, Tebow's one of the best college quarterbacks in the history of football. There's a quarterback he reminds me of, and it's you know Tebow or say. or Burrow. No, Burrow. But oh, I yeah. I think it reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Devon Godshaw <laughs> had an accurate. I mean, Devon Godshaw in an interview was talking about the two, and he was like, you know, he reminds me a lot of Fitzpatrick here, and he's right. Pete Thamel wrote a fascinating story about how Urban Meyer essentially abuses quarterbacks when they first join to toughen them up, and when, when they get to a higher state, toughen them up. And he called, so his name was John Burrow. It, they called him John as a kind of a just to knock him down mm-hmm. a peg or two, and uh, and he had to he was in behind JT Barrett and Haskins and Cardell Jones, um, and the sort of the the levels of abuse, not in a bad way necessarily, but the levels of abuse that that Meyer gave, and said he wasn't good enough. He should be playing like Division Three football at Mount Union, and then JT Barrett turned to him and said, "Oh, don't worry, I was told I should be playing Appalachian State." and Cardo Jones said, I don't worry, I was told I should be playing at, you know, Hackensack University or whatever. Um, but it's a fascinating story showing his resentment. And his dad was a coach. His dad was a coach for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, coached at a really high level, then came as a, a defensive coordinator of, uh, under Frank Solich at Ohio to finish his career. Um, it's a really fascinating story. It's well worth having a look. At, uh, it's on Pete Thamel's Twitter. He's the Yahoo college football writer. It's a, a really interesting tale about where how Burroughs got to where he is now. Yeah, I came away extremely impressed. Uh, like I said, you know, I'm not comparing him as a player to Tim Tebow, but it felt that felt like a Tim Tebow game. Uh, one of those tidal waves where you, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, you know? he was. He felt unstoppable at times, didn't he? Yes. You know, it it was it, it was overwhelming, and and I said so on Twitter, and I still feel that way. I think he the won one, on Saturday. The one thing I was disappointed with was that the the run at the end where he faked and took it himself for the first down, the kind of a critical first down on the on the last touchdown drive, and he just held the ball up and dropped it like a mic drop. And what I wanted him to do was the Desmond Howard Heisman celebrate. You know, the, just a little sort of the <laughs> yeah, statue the there at that point. That would have been just the like. Could you imagine the yeah. meltdown that happened? No, that and he also has his the, his signature play, a huge conversion where he fakes the the quarterback draw and then hits the in cut mm. at the end of the game. That that's that's that was a huge signature play, and of course, icing the game, you know, with, with the run. Before we go as well, can I just can we just have one word for Ryan Tannehill, who again was outstanding <laughs> yesterday? Oh my and then, god, it was he great? Two drives at the end of the game to 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 drive him down for a field goal, and then to drive him down for the Adam Humphreys touchdown which you know uh, he was getting absolutely destroyed in the pocket and then destroyed one thornhill on the two-point conversion to barrel over it to yes. win the game uh, you know 
kudos to Ryan Tannehill. As Peter King wrote, one of the NFL's good guys uh, had a his third big big day for the uh, for the Titans. I mean, he's three yeah. and one as a starter, and two so. comebacks in the fourth quarter. Kudos, yeah, kudos yeah, for him. I mean, the comebacks are. And struggling as well because I know that his um his wife's his wife's uh, his wife's father passed away last week as well. So um, he's doing all this with a uh, I suspect a heavy heart. So kudos to to our former quarterback. Yeah, it'd be something if he wills that team into the playoffs. Wouldn't <laughs> we it? Traded, we traded him for what a fifth round, fourth, fourth, fourth rounder. rounder, fourth, fourth rounder. rounder, fourth rounder, and we gave up like seven million dollars to make it yeah. to grease the to make grease it the wheels, grease the wheels. Yeah. Ouch. All right. This it's time for some. It's time for Monday night football. Yes, this yeah. was a media episode. We gave you well over an hour, people. Enjoy, download it. Remember to always subscribe, yeah, rate. Okay, there's talking in the background. No, it's me. I'm t- I put the football on. Uh, Did you just say rape or no. rate? Rate. No, rate. rate. Oh, rate. Rape okay. would have been weird. We're gonna. You know what? This. That's it. That's it. Wednesday, we're giving you a vegan episode. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday, you're not gonna get much. Wednesday, we're gonna say Bills, Dolphins, go, and then I'm gonna cut it off like five minutes into the episode. It's fair enough. That's my kind. Of, that's my kind of episode. Make sure to do yeah. the commercials. Mine too. That's it. Ninety-nine. No more. We will talk to you guys later on this week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.